the glorious good news in the Lord Jesus Christ is what we most need, we can have. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can be finding Matthew chapter 6. And in a moment, we'll stand together for the reading of God's Word. My aim this morning, like last week, is to encourage you in such a way that praying is what you most love to do. If you could really be good at something, what is it that you would love to be good at? There was a time in my life that I really wanted to be good at playing the guitar. I think about it just about every Sunday when Pastor Blake's up here playing the guitar. I I heard Julie, when I was about 12 years old, say, I love a man who can play the guitar. And so I just, I did. I set out and I took guitar lessons for about a year. But just no matter how I tried, I just couldn't quite get there. So I had to find another way, you know, to, to win her heart. Maybe you'd love to be good at a sport. Maybe you'd love to be fast. Maybe you'd love to be able to go in the kitchen and really prepare something that everybody would say, that's the, the best I've ever, I've ever eaten. Well, my encouragement for you this morning is, uh, if you really could, and I don't even think being good at it is the right way of saying it, but, but if you could be a person of prayer, I mean, I'm talking about God-honoring, Christ-exalting, Spirit-led prayer, that is a non-negotiable to have an abundant life. In the recent weeks, we've been talking about uh, how you really would describe your life, and maybe you'd say, my life is busy, or my life is uh, chaotic, or my life's hard. My life's full of suffering. Jesus said, there is an enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you could testify to that, right? That's true. But be of good courage. I've overcome the world, he said. I've come that you might have life, not existence, not just trying to get through the day, but you could have life and have it abundantly, right? But friends, we'll never have an abundant life without a prayer life that that sort of uh, underscores it all. There's no greater privilege than prayer. I think most of us this morning would, would be quick to agree with that. We have no mightier weapon in our arsenal than prayer. I mean, some of us, we got some stuff going on in life right? Some of us, we got stuff going on at work. We got stuff going on at home. We got stuff going on with our children. There's no mightier weapon in our arsenal than than prayer. So again, my aim this morning is for us collectively to, to move prayer out of the category of things we know we should do and into the category of things we love to do. Man, my, my heart in humility before the Lord, is if our church could be known for anything, it would be that that is a praying church. And here's the good news. We already said it this morning. God's able. Amen? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And every good work starts with, is sustained by, and deepens in prayer. One of the good works, maybe the best good work God enables us to, to, to be about and abound in is prayer. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I think we said this last week, uh, we're not, uh, one, of the, one of the things we're most weak in is prayer, and Jesus knows that, and He's willing to help us. Isn't that good news? 
So let's get the best of help from our King, the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Father, may your name be hallowed among us. And may, um, may you give us grace to abound in prayerfulness that from your perspective is the kind of praying that marks an abundant life and a faithful church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just briefly recap from from last week. Jesus knows that we're weak when it comes to prayer, and he emphasizes two specific areas where we tend to be weak. The first one is that we tend to pray in front of others in order to be seen by others, while when no one is around, we don't really pray at all, right? That's what he says. When you pray, don't be like those who love to stand on the street corners or in the synagogues that they may be seen by others. In, in other words, prayer isn't uh, something you perform to be observed by, by others. Now, he's not saying that you never pray in public. He is saying that you should never just pray in public. Your prayer life should be like an iceberg. Just the tip is seen above the surface while beneath the surface surface rather, uh, in, in, in time when no one else is around, that's when the majority of your praying is. That's important because who you are when nobody is around is who you really are. I mean, kind of from early stages of life, we learned that we have to sort of do certain things in order to be seen by others. The Lord puts the diagnosis very clear. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So pride is the great enemy of prayer, that you're praying. Really, ultimately, you're, all you're living is just observed by other people. So, so don't try to impress other people when you pray. And then the second weakness is you don't have to try to impress God when you pray. Don't be like the Gentiles. In other words, those who don't have any accurate information of who God really is, they think they should heap up phrases. So, so you don't have to try to impress God by praying the right way. Certain words or phrases, we're, we're, um, our hearts are so deceptive that we'll make the Lord's prayer into this very thing that Jesus is saying, don't pray like, right? You've probably all been places. I remember being on a sports team when I was coming along, and we'd go out and before we huddle up, and we'd all kind of say the Lord's prayer and just kind of mumble it, and, it, and just went on. And we did that, and, and then, you know, had no bearing on how we really treated each other or acted once we got on the, on the football field, right? So, so don't heap up the Lord's prayer. Pray then like this. If you've got an outline and want to follow along, we're just going to walk through the first couple of phrases of the Lord's prayer together. 
Let's not be so familiar with the passage in this prayer that we lose sight of how wonderful it is. It is the greatest prayer ever prayed on earth, and it's the model prayer. That's what he's saying. Pray then like this. So our praying should be structured the way that this prayer is. So we start with this phrase, our Father, our Father. You know, if, if we took the whole prayer, and we'll talk about this more as the weeks go by, there are six petitions. Three are things that we ask for the Lord and His glory, and then three things are what we need. So His kingdom, or sorry, His name, His kingdom, His will, and then our bread, our sin, our protection. And one of the most glorious truths of the whole prayer happens right away, what you call Him. Our Father, our Father, the God of the universe, the God who made the world out of nothing, the God who is the ancient of days, wants you to come to him as your heavenly Father. That's amazing. What that that teaches us is, first of all, on the the sermon outline, we are adopted into God's family by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, You're there in Matthew 6. Let's go back here to Matthew chapter 5 so we can see something important together. God's only your father if you've come to him through faith in Jesus. What I mean by that is God's the creator of all people, but he's only the father to his own. And you're only his own if you've been adopted into his family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. To to just highlight that in Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, all right, so a whole lot of people, he went up on his mountain, uh, sorry, he went up on the mountain, it is his mountain by the way, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. We tracking? Crowds? And then he sits down, and those who say, he's my king, his disciples come to him. And verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them. Taught who? The disciples. Crowds, welcome to listen in. But what I'm saying is for my people. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So everybody can listen. But I'm teaching my disciples. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. So, point in case, when we go to verse 9 and he says, you're going to pray, our Father, it's those who have come to God by faith in Jesus. For example, John chapter 1. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's who he is a father to. Those who have repented and believed. Well, we're just here in Matthew chapter uh, 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 6 and 5. Let's rewind the tape just a little bit more to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, I want you to see the first command that Jesus gives in the gospel. 
of Matthew. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're about to get a whole lot of help here. Y'all hang with me. You see that? And then in verse 19 is the next command. And he said to them, follow me. Can we get the order right? Repent, then follow me. Here's why there's so many people in church life who are frustrated. They're trying to follow the Lord, but they've never repented. We didn't get the order right. Trying to follow him, but never repented. What does it mean to repent? Repent simply means you change direction. I am not going to continue to go the direction I'm going. I'm turning around. Now, if you've never repented, it's going to show up in your prayer life. Because you're going to still think that you're in charge. Right? Our Father in heaven. So, just want, to, just want us to start here. He's a father to those who've repented and are following the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you've died to yourself. I just want to read this. I came across this, uh, this, this past week. It was helpful to my soul, so I'm going to read it to you. And it was just, uh, I couldn't even see who wrote it. Just, but it's a note called Dying to Self. When you are forgotten or neglected or purposefully set at naught, and you don't sting and hurt with the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, when your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even to defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation, or record your own good works, or itch after commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy, not question God while your own needs seem far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up in your heart, that is dying to self. And then it ends with this question, are you dead yet? If, we're, if he's our father, that means we're in his family and that means we're going to begin to look more and more like Jesus. We got this question going around at our house with our baby girl, Jenna. Who does she look like? Who does she look like? And then we'll see pictures of our other children about her age. And one day we'll say, man, she looks just like, she looks just like Abel. And the next day her face is a little, little more like Priscilla. Or she looks exactly like Juliana. But the point is, no one in the family of God isn't increasingly looking, looking like, acting like, thinking like, serving like loving like, dying to self like, and praying like Jesus. Amen? I mean, that's what it means to be in his family. Uh, we live in this culture that kind of wants to have God look more and more like us. And that's not what's going on here. You've been invited into his family by faith in Christ, and then the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you and make you more and more looking like Jesus. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Is belonging to God through Christ the greatest joy of your life? Now, that phrase, our Father, next leads us to realize we enter, when we enter a relationship with God, we enter a relationship with His people. Look around. You've entered a relationship with the other people in this room. What a church family is. So, so if we just kind of come here Sunday morning and then we leave from here and however many minutes we're going to leave and have nothing to do with one another outside of here, we're not quite doing it right, right? I mean, when you identify with the Lord, you're going to identify with his, his people. I think I mentioned this last week. No first-person pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. No me's or my's. Our Father. Forgive us our debts. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. God doesn't have an only child in this family. You know what I mean? He's the father for us all. And that helps our prayerfulness. Uh, helps us know how to pray. When we pray, are we asking something just for me? Or are we asking something for us? And I can go on and tell you, that's a good filter. Because if this ain't good for us... It's not going to be good for you. You know what I'm saying? So our, our, our father, he is your father, but he's not just your father. And he'll never do you good out of the context of doing good to his people. Now, this is a real struggle for us because we are very individualistic. We are. We're more individualistic than we think we are. We, 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 and we live, honestly, in a, in a culture that kind of caters to us. Every advertisement you see, their goal is to get you to want something from, from them. But, but in, in, in the Lord's body, and it's not individualistic. There's no such thing as a relationship with God that's not deeply connect, connected to relationships with His children. And there's no such thing as a deepening love for God as He's revealed Himself that does not have a deepening love for his church. Do you love your church? Do you love your Lord? Those answers will always be the, be the same. So there's no way of uniting myself to God without uniting myself to his people. We're responsible for one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. Anybody that, that should be a part of the church family that's kind of going through life alone or carrying things that are too much. He's our father and then next week we're told, in heaven. Just listen to the sequence of verses from the Bible. Just, just let them kind of roll over you. Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above. There is no other. Deuteronomy 33.26, there is no God, there is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. Psalm 97.9, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. Recently, Ecclesiastes 5.2, we studied, Be not rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And you realize how much bigger he is than you? How glorious he is? How majestic he is? He's our father in heaven. And that teaches us that he rules and reigns from on high. And if you could get an accurate glimpse by God's grace of heaven, you'd settle down a little bit. 
things that you're told are so urgent, you'd realize they're really not all that pressing after all, are they? If you could get a glimpse of him, his reign, his power, you'd be less anxious, less nervous, less angry. He reigns. You don't make him reign. He reigns. You don't make him rule. He rules. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, if you've never truly repented and you had a glimpse of heaven, you'd be a lot more urgent in knowing God for who he really is. Now, our world that we're living in is fallen, right? You know this. It's cursed, subjected to futility. Romans 8, that's what it says. So trying to find peace and purpose and contentment in this world is, the Bible says, futile. And our world's confusing, chaotic, loud. Our world is so violent. The world's disappointing. In the world, so much injustice and so much suffering. But notice what he says. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The earth isn't the only place there is. Praise the Lord for that, right? There's coming a day when this world will be made new. God is ruling from heaven. And this phrase also teaches us that he's a God of intimacy and authority. Father in heaven, what a... What a, a A remarkable phrase. Father teaches us that he's near us. And in heaven means that he's got authority. They're both true. He's a loving father and he's got all authority. So that means when you pray, somebody's really listening. You know what I love about Jesus is when he shows up on the scene and and Jesus, the word become flesh and dwelt among us. He reveals who God really is. And two things are always displayed. He cares and he's got power. And I'm always so thankful it's not one or the other. He doesn't show up and say, man, this really, I really have compassion for this, but I can't do anything. And neither does he just kind of bluster in, heal somebody, and keep going. Right? He's got compassion and power. Now, if you could ask that God, who is good, glorious, and powerful, to do anything, what would you ask him to do? We've probably all been there, you know, your Bible study, your small group, your Sunday school class, and somebody's standing up at the board and says, I think I did this this morning, right? Who's got prayer requests? Now, right there, I want to give you a caution. Right there. We do not know how to pray as we ought. That's what the Bible says. So we want to be careful with prayer requests. We know we can fill the whole board up, but it might not be things that we ought really to be asking God for. So let me just go back to the original question. If you could ask God to do anything, what would you ask him to do? The title of the message this morning was the most important prayer request, right? Do you know what Jesus says it is? He says something I, I've, I've never said myself, and I don't think I've ever been in any Bible study where anyone said, hey, let's, here's my prayer request. Hallowed be your name. It's the most important prayer request. It's a, it's a request. It's a petition. Your name be hallowed. 
the biggest need you've got in your life is to hallow the name of God. And it's an appeal. It's what we might call a prayer request. But we, we're a little confused because that's not a word we hear very often, is it? I was thinking this week, the, the only other place I could remember hearing the word hallowed is from when I memorized the Gettysburg Address years ago, right? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty, dot, 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 dot. Not to be disrespectful, but Abraham Lincoln goes in a larger sense talking about this battlefield. We cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our power to add or detract. So hallowed be your name. I read one author this week who said, hallowed is a word that's dropped out of our culture and has not really been replaced by anything else, which says a whole lot about our culture, right? We don't hallow anything. I mean, you know this. You go home today, and you can cut on your television, and not one single solitary thing will be hallowed. Not God's name. Not human life. Not dignity. Not marriage. Nothing. We live in a culture where nothing is hallowed. Which, by the way, should probably bring some insight into how much time we spend before that big screen, right? We're asking that the name of God to, is, to, is to be honored over and above everything and everyone else. When we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying, may your name be honored. May your name be esteemed. May, may we have a place value on who you are in line with who you are. There's nothing that ultimately is as valuable as the name of God that is discarded as not valuable as frequently as the name of God in this world. Now, it is very much worth you considering what is most honored in your life because it's something. You have something in your life that everything else revolves around. Everything else waits for. Everything else gets put on pause so you can give your attention, your affection, your allegiance to that. And we're all born with that something being, do you know what it is? Self. That's what we repent of, by the way. That's what we die to. Because we're born saying, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come, my will be done. Right here, right now. Give me what I want and don't hold me to account for anything. We're born in our nature with a disposition that's the exact opposite of the Lord's Prayer, aren't we? So to hallow means to honor God as He deserves to be honored. That's really what the fall is. If you go back and read Genesis 3, the adversary... The old serpent, he slithers in and he says to Adam and Eve, you should hallow your own name. You eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be on the same level as him. So when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we're praying that all the world would see God for who he is, to honor him for who he is, and to joyfully obey him. Hey, let me give you an example of when 
God's name is hallowed. Right here in the Bible. You're in Matthew. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Man, I love this. I love this account. Just an example. Luke 7, 11. 7, 11, so you can remember that. Read it later if you want to. Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went to a town called Nain. Now, always in the Bible, name uh, geographical references are significant. Nain is a town that the name Nain, I have to enunciate this carefully, the name Nain means beautiful. That's a good name for a town, isn't it? Where are you from? I'm from beautiful. Where are you going? I'm going to beautiful. But there's, there's divine irony here because something very unbeautiful is happening in the city. His disciples and a great crowd with him. Hey, did you see the distinction again? Disciples and crowd, they're not the same. If you're going to be his disciple, you got to leave the crowd. Okay. It says, he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So in your mind, you should be seeing this this scene. When Cities in those days had gates, right? So the gate into the city of beautiful, Jesus is coming, and he's got a large crowd with him, and on the other side of the gate is a funeral procession, right? And this widow, her only son has died. So in that place, in that context, she is in the most difficult circumstance imaginable. Husband's dead, son who was going to help her and provide for her, he's dead too. And she's coming out. Jesus is coming in, she's heading out. Is Jesus going to let her leave beautiful? That's, that's kind of what's going on here. Now, it, it used to be, I do a lot of funerals, so I want to choose my words carefully. It used to be that everybody showed respect during a funeral. And you pull to the side or you step aside, right? Because you know that's a, that's a significant moment. And so Jesus is standing at the gate and they're coming out. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't move. And they're kind of sit, standing there waiting. Okay, he'll, he and this crowd, the polite thing to do is to step aside so that the funeral procession can keep going. You want some glorious good news about Jesus? He doesn't step aside for death. He doesn't. What that might mean in your life is you've made a conclusion that something's dead. A relationship is dead. Hopeless. God is able. And when he saw, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said to her, see the emphasis is on her, great crowd, lots of people. He sees her, looks at her, had compassion on her, and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer, and the bearer stood still. You see, they're, they're trying to move. We got to get to the gravesite. He says, stop. He touches it. He's near. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I love this. Jesus gave him to his mother. 
fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. The report about what? About his name, about who he is, about what he's done. Now, you say, that's awesome, that's great, beautiful. That's good. But friends, if you've come from death to life by faith in Christ, there is no less significant an occurrence that has happened in your life than has counted right here. If you've come from death to life, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, a report from your life is going to go out. Somebody has shown up in that life. They were on their way to death, and they couldn't do anything about it. But then Jesus, then Jesus, compassionate, powerful Jesus showed up and says, Arise. Psalm 2511. For your namesake, O Lord, for your namesake, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So God's name, hallowed be your name. God's name is the sum of all his attributes and works. His name refers to his public reputation. You've got a name, don't you? You've got a name. A good name is to be desired above great riches. What does that mean? What do people think about when they hear your name? Your name comes up in conversations and they say, oh, he is so-and-so. She is what? What is it? What is it? What is it that people, they think something. And hallowed be your name is the prayer that when people think about God, they think about one who is compassionate, powerful, mighty to save. So in conclusion this morning, the greatest need we have is to hallow God's name. His glory and our good are eternally joined together. How much of your praying is unto the end that God's name would be hallowed? So, so the greatest need we have is to have a view and knowledge and understanding of God in line with who he really is. So you could have everything else everything the world has to offer and not have this and be no better off. In fact, you'd be worse off. What's it profit a man to gain the whole world, right, and forfeit his soul? So we're going to take a step together towards communion. So let's put these things together. What is communion? In communion, we remember the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, we said that, uh, that God's glory and your good are eternally joined. And the best example of this is the cross. It's at the cross that he's glorified. But Jesus had prayed, right? Father, glorify, glorify me now as he's heading to the, to the cross. It's at the cross that all of humanity's worst and God's best are both on display. Now, you think about this with me. Here are the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation. All of those requests are, are possible, can be, can be answered because of Jesus' death on our behalf. 
because of his triumph over the grave. So we're going to kind of wrap up the sermon portion of our service. And then we're going to sing. And as we sing, just kind of get into your heart your mind. We're headed to communion. But here's what I want to do for our response time. Just take the main point of this morning's sermon to think about. The biggest need you have is to hallow the name of the Lord. Do you believe that's true? Is that what you would have said, right? It's what Jesus says. And so as a time of response, just God's good, right? God's able. He's compassionate. You just allow him, in the context of us being together, you allow him to give an accurate diagnosis of your life right now. If, if your life is headed in that direction, that the biggest need you've got, the greatest desire of your life is that his name would be hallowed. And then, some of us got some significant things going on in life. So the, so the invitation is open. You can come here. You can pray. But what I'm going to encourage you to do is, uh, and man, it would probably be good, honestly, if all of us did this this morning. The biggest burden you've got in life, I want you to bring before the Lord and ask him through it that he would work in such a way that his name would be hallowed. Does that make sense? The biggest need you've got is not for your burden to go away. It's for you to learn to hallow his name right in the midst of it. So let's stand together and we're going to pray together. Sing together. And then just remember on the ne- headed to communion. He's praying. Father, hallowed be your name. In this city that we live in, may your name be honored, esteemed, glorified, in line with who you really are, what you've really done, and what you really will do. Father, teach us to pray. To really pray. And I'm asking now in the time of response that your word really does lead to transformation in our life. Praying isn't, I pray, I pray that prayer is not something we feel like we've got to do. It's something that we long to do. And that the greatest desire of our lives is that your name would be hallowed. We pray in Jesus' name.